On October the 3rd, 2000, a newly hired propane truck driver was making a delivery to the 16-acre site that was home to the Tri-State Crematory in Northwest Georgia. The driver arrived early that morning before the owner of the crematory, and since he was new on the job, began to look around the property for the tank he was supposed to fill. As the driver stated later in court, when he walked around the corner of one outbuilding, he saw human remains, including one intact body with, quote, a little skin clinging to it, unquote. He rushed back to his office and told his supervisor what he had seen. His boss called the Walker County Sheriff's Department in Georgia. But for some reason, either apathy, oversight, or blind faith in a trusted local family, nothing changed at Tri-State Crematory for another year and a half. So for three years before and another 16 months after a propane delivery man stumbled across human remains at Tri-State Crematory, hundreds of families received a container filled with what they were told was the delicately handled remains of their deceased loved ones. Sadly, on 339 separate occasions, that was not what happened. Here's what really happened. Welcome back, everyone, to a What Was That episode of oh. True Crime on Easy Street. Scott. Are you talking about the last one or this one? That opener. Oh, I that. have chill bumps. That was fantastic. My name is Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. My name is Scott Wright, and I'm a mediocre journalist. My name is Katie Givens, and I'm not a lawyer, but I have questions. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try. I'm going to try and answer those questions. I've done a lot of research. I've done more research for this episode than any other episode we've ever done. I have read two complete books and a third of another one, and watched a shitload of YouTube videos. And so, if your son is listening to this episode, I apologize to Nate for saying the S mm-hmm. word, mm-hmm. but. Stick around. Shout out to Mr. Nate Turner, our yes. newest fan. Yes, and my shout out. He just who, got brought up before we went on the air. Yes, who he's a fan. notices every time that Mr. Scott uses a very colorful word. Well, every time he calls me Mr. Scott, he builds up another one of those because I hate that. <laughs> Everybody, I'm, I'm 51 now and a lot more people have started calling me Mr. Scott mm-hmm. than I've ever noticed before in my life. I know. I don't like it. Well, he's 12. I was about to say, that's old uh, to young Nate Turner, and he is just being polite because if he is anything, it is polite. Then I'm going to call him young Nate from now on. He would love that. He probably (laughs) would. (laughs) So welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of True Crime on Easy Street. We are coming to you from the Easy Street, from Easy Street, not the Easy Street. Yeah, you from Easy yeah, Street. That's going to get you a letter in the mail from Easy Street Restaurant mm-hmm. Bar and Performance Hall. That's right. I'm currently sitting at on the, the dance floor. <laughs> I'm on the dance well, floor, and we're coming over to get you because we're all sitting at the bar, and we yeah. don't know why you stumbled away and sat on the dance it's floor. The for the last Ten minutes. I, I follow the lights. I'm all like right. a moth to a flame. Well, let close your eyes, <laughs> count to ten, and we will come and get you. <laughs> Well, thank you to everybody who's joining us this week. You can follow us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, whatever else. Yeah, we're on it all. We don't, we're not really good at keeping up with it, except on Instagram and Facebook. We do okay. <laughs> we do okay. We do. Okay. I saw uh, 
Center City Councilman Jay Howell yesterday. Okay. And a establishment is not the one that is the sponsor of the show because okay. we're closed on Sunday. Okay. So that's okay. But yeah, that's fine. So he, I mean, he's got to eat, right? So we had sure. to go somewhere else. So he was eating in another place in town. Mm-hmm. And we spoke for a few minutes. And you he, can say Dicks and Docks. He was at Dicks and Docks. He was at Dicks and Docks. Hello, Willie Barnwell. They're, they're not, yeah, they're the, not the enemy. You yeah, can say right. they're, they're, um, Just be careful how you say that. Yeah. How many drinks you've had. That's, yeah, you're, yeah thank you. Well, we are at the bar. Mm-hmm. As so far as anybody out there knows. Let's not try that name again. But Let's yeah, I, I'd li- I enjoy going there as well. So I saw Jay there and he is a big fan of the show. Awesome. And he sent me an email today that I have not forwarded to you guys yet. Or actually it was a text message uh, about another possible show in the future. Okay. That we might be able to do. We'll put so, it on the list and we'll be sure and give him another shout out when we do it. But thank that's, you. That's what I told him. Councilman so thank you. Jay Howell. Junior Councilman. And that's what I call him. Junior it, it pisses him off because he's <laughs> it's his first term. Junior Councilman Jay Howell. Oh, so formal. I know. Anyway, so thank you, Jay, okay, for that. Yeah, thank and, you. Uh, and if you want to email us directly and not have to go through Scott, you can mm-hmm. email us at truecrimeoneasystreet at gmail.com. I recommend that. And... <laughs> Because Scott loves to erase all of his messages. He has this I'm OCD. really weird tendency. I can't help it. As soon as I read it, I'm like, oh, I got that. Well, that's that. what you do when you get rid of evidence. Are you telling me that I have that, criminal that, tendencies? That, that was a pause. Uh, Did you hear that? It was a big pause, Kelly. Ooh. <laughs> I was and trying I, to remember I, how to pronounce tendencies. I got to tell you, I got to look for mm-hmm. that one, too. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. We better just, move on from yeah. that. That was mostly confusion. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, yeah. Scott, for all of the research. I cannot wait to hear this story, so take it away. All right. Well, um, before we get to the uh, actual matter at hand, I thought that instead of doing a set the table segment this week, I would tell you some stories about some famous celebrities in the history of humankind, as far as we're concerned, who have chosen cremation, because we're going to talk about cremation a lot tonight. There's a couple of different ways to do it. It turns out, um, and it didn't always get done the way that it was supposed to be done I in the that. noble community in Lafayette, okay. Georgia, back in the late 1990s and early 2000s. But it turns out there are a lot of people, a lot of celebrities uh, over the years who have chosen cremation. Okay. And just so that you know this, the, uh, in 2017, the rate of Americans who chose cremation as their final resting place was 52%. It's supposed to hit 58% uh, by next year. It's already 75% in Canada, but if you go back into this country 50 years ago, it was like 5%. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people in this country chose that form of final solution mm-hmm. uh, for their remains. Uh, but some of the folks who did, if you ever watched the Star Trek series and you ever heard Captain Kirk scream at Scotty to give her all she's got, uh, his name was James Doohan. He was a he was an Irish actor, I believe, and his he died in uh, 2005, and he had his remains uh, turned into ashes and shot into outer space. Wow! How appropriate for a guy who not only starred on the Star Trek series, the original Star Trek series, mm-hmm. but also died on July the 20th, 2005. And July the 20th you, is a day that that okay. Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. Okay, so what do you? Um... What do you use to shoot ashes into outer space? This was a rocket ship An that, that rocket apparently ship. that wealthy people have access to, and I don't think he, his were the only remains on that rocket. I think it was one of those things where maybe every two or three years they shoot something into the sky, and... It just happened to be a bucket of ashes. Yeah. A ton, more than mm-hmm. a bucket. Several, 
several uh, people from, worth. From, from three to five and a half pounds is what typically your ashes will be reduced to if you choose cremation when you die. Well, that's a lot less than what I weigh, but we're not going to talk about that. Well, it's pretty standard the way that I have re- okay. read it so far. Okay. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson was also cremated. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gonzo journalist of Hell's Angels fame. Uh, and when he died in February of 2005, Johnny Depp paid for it because Johnny Depp played the mm-hmm. character of Hunter S. Thompson in the movie uh, Fear and Fear. Loathing mm-hmm. in Las Vegas. Are you a fan? I'm a huge Johnny Depp fan. All right. So you've seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That I was have. A, a 98 film, a really good film. Uh, among the dignitaries at Hunter S. Thompson's explosion into space, mm. Jack Nicholson and Senator John Kerry, who were, okay. who were friends of Hunter S. Thompson at the time. Uh, moving along quickly, Albert Einstein died in 1955. His body was cremated. And his ashes were scattered um, in an undisclosed location that he chose in his will. His, bla- his brain was kept and is still in a jar today at hmm. the University of uh, Princeton. So he donated New it Jersey. to science. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, a, that's an excellent brain to study. I would think mm-hmm. that would be a good place to start. If we could figure out. I'm not sure that it's going to do much now that it's not connected, but I'm not a doctor. So you are certainly not a doctor, Uh, but you're right. In this particular diagnosis, I tend to agree with you. (laughs) So um, in 1966, Walt Disney died. And according, uh, regardless of what you've heard, he is not frozen uh, and buried beneath the pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland in California. Uh, His remains are kept in a mausoleum at the Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale, California, which if you know anything about celebrities and you like the movies as much as I do, you know that that's where a lot of famous people have been either interred or buried or had their uh, cremated remains stored since 1906. Among them, Betty Davis, Carrie Fisher, Liberace. Wait, but you're just going to skip over the fact that Walt Disney's not on ice somewhere. He is not. He is not. He, Yeah. Sorry. Are, are you certain? Or are you just, this is something you've read? I'm up. telling you what YouTube and Wikipedia told me. All so right. you take that for what it's worth. Okay. Uh, among the other folks at Forest Lawn Memorial Park, Telly Savalas. Uh, and you guys all watch Modern Family. Fred Ward, who played the grandfather. On, oh, yeah. He is interred there. And for all you sports fans out there, uh, John Wooden, who is the longtime coach of the UCLA basketball team. Uh, is interred at Forest Lawn Memorial Park. It's a very famous cemetery. They show movies on a big white wall to celebrate sort of the folks who've been interred there through the years. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock, John Lennon was cremated when he died, and Yoko Ono scattered his ashes in Central Park right across the street from the apartment where they lived when he was uh, assassinated. David Bowie, Prince, Christopher Reeve, JFK Jr., Gary Coleman, Amy Winehouse, among the many people who've chosen over the course of their lives to make sure that their final arrangements were cremation. Um, And quickly, some of the books that I read, there's a book called A Long Day at the End of the World. It was written by a guy named uh, Brent Hendricks in 2013. And he didn't really mean to write a book about the tri-state crematory incident he wrote a book about what happened to his father after he died. And it's a long story and it's very, I would love to give you a recommendation to read this book. And if you're interested in the tri-state crematory case, read it. But otherwise it's a little, he goes into moving into Tuscaloosa and Hernando's DeSoto's 
trip through the southeastern United States in the 1540s. It's a little bit helter-skelter and back and forth, but the part where he talks about trying to find out where his father's final remains were dealt with, it turns out that he was one of the bodies that was sent to the Tri-State Crematory. Oh, dear. And, uh, and we'll touch on it a little bit later. There's another book, uh, a lady named Caitlin Doty, called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory. She spent a couple of years working at a crematory in San Francisco, and so some inside stories about how that works exactly. Um, and I called and talked to Steve Wilson. He was the sheriff at Walker County, Georgia, yesterday, day before yesterday. He was also the sheriff there 20 years ago when all this happened. He's been the sheriff in Walker County, Georgia for a long time. Uh, since 1996 in November, he was elected. So he's been there since all of this started. He, he's experienced the whole thing, and he was very uh, candid with me on the phone, uh, answered every question that I had. So I will share some of that with you guys tonight. And finally, there was a guy named Dan Ronan, who is a TV reporter for the Atlanta affiliate, uh, the CBS affiliate, WAGA, who broke the story. And he is currently a, uh, an on-air personality for Sirius XM Radio. He does a trucker's overnight show and some other things, I think. But I texted him, and I think I shared with you guys the text that I sent him or the messenger text about, hey, we're doing a podcast. Love to hear from you. Never heard back from him. But he's probably a busy guy. It's the holidays. I get it. No, no, no worries there. So you got to put your reporter hat on this week. I did, and I love when I get to do that. And I actually called Perry Funeral Home today. Uh, our local funeral home here in Center, Alabama. And I talked to someone who said that uh, they have never worked with the Tri-State Crematory. When all of this happened at the time, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, they used another crematory in another part of Alabama. So they did not. So there's no connection as far as that here in Cherokee County with the cremations. Okay. Now, where is this? Tri-state. If you drive to Galesville from here and keep going through Somerville and don't turn once Mm -hmm. in one hour and one minute, you will be in Lafayette, Georgia. And that's where it is. And just outside of Lafayette, Lafayette's a a town of about 67, uh, I'm sorry, 6,700 people, Mm -hmm. somewhere around 7,000 people. So a little bit bigger than center, but not a a big town like Rome or Gadsden, uh, towns we're familiar with here. Um, But it's, uh, it's, it's about an hour away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you go Somerville, Tron, Lafayette, right? Correct. And then, yeah, bef- so Lafayette in, like, how far away from Atlanta would you um, say? Lafayette? I would say an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. It's not far over to 75. And if you turn and go south, before you know it, you're in downtown Atlanta. Okay. So, so we're it all is, in that it area. Is northwest of, the, of Atlanta, about an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so that's where all of this took place. Um, and and I, I made some notes about facts about cremation, but I'm going to skip over those. And if you guys have any questions about exactly how I have works, a lot of questions, we'll get, to, we'll I've, get. I've, I've got some, I've got some interesting facts about exactly how that works. Okay. Um, but I'm going to skip ahead and just tell you the story about what happened. And then if you guys want to go back, we will. All right. So let's, we're going to fast forward or reverse or wherever we are and, until 1996. And what, what has happened in 1996? And, and this is an unincorporated community in Walker County, Georgia called Noble, N-O-B-L-E. It's, it's kind of like Broomtown or 
uh, McCord's Crossroads here in Cherokee County. It's it's unincorporated, but everybody around here knows where it is, and Noble is one of those places. And that's where the Tri-State Crematory and Marsh Vault and Grave Service was located. So in the middle of nowhere. Correct. And I could, absolutely dead solid BFE. So you, <laughs> so you could go there and you could you could have a loved one cremated, or you could order a headstone. Uh, yes, buried. yeah, they had a vault. The vault service, the, the vault. vault and grave okay. service opened mm-hmm. in 1976, and the crematory did not open until 1981. So there's a graveyard there. There is not a graveyard oh, not there. there. This is a place where dead human remains are, uh, well, before the vault, before the crematory was built, it was just a vault and grave service, so they would go out and dig a grave at your local cemetery. Okay, but they would provide supply the concrete the, the vault, vault and okay that, that mm-hmm. the cat that the casket would go into, mm-hmm. uh, and then seal it up and bury. It. That and was what they, they did for headstone. for five years, okay, until eighty one when they decided, hey, we should put a crematory on the site, okay, and and handle those remains as well for people who want that. I do have a question though: mm-hmm. How hot? Fifteen hundred degrees Fahrenheit. For how long? Four hours. Just so everybody's out there who can listen. Yeah. Your burn pile out back doesn't get that hot. No, ma'am. And won't burn that hot that long, even if it does reach that temperature. Not without um, jet fuel. Just saying. Please listen to any true crime podcast where they have found remains in a burn pit. This is not a, it's not a good way to get rid of somebody. Yeah, Every that, time. Yeah, Stephen Avery wishes that that fire burned a little hotter, right? Yes, he does. Um whether he did it or not. Um, anyway, so um, so in 81, the the crematory opens, and, and it's operated by Ray and Clara Marsh, and they are fine, upstanding folks in the community. Um, they've been respected for a long time. She was the 1995 winner of the Chamber of Commerce's Woman of the Year Award, and he barely lost the race for county coroner by like less than 100 votes. So... Upstanding members of the community. That been, would make sense on a crematorium. Be the right? Corner. It certainly would. Um, but if we fast forward from then until 1996, uh, the elder Marsh, Father Marsh, is he has a stroke. And so he reaches out to his son, Ray Brent Marsh. And when I talked to the sheriff last week, he said, well, everybody here calls him Brent. So we're going to call him Brent Marsh for the rest of the show. He's Brent. Okay. So Brent uh, was six foot two, two hundred sixty-five pounds, a high school football star in his local hometown, who won a scholarship to what we called back then UT Chattanooga. Today it's just I think the University of Chattanooga, but it was University of Tennessee Chattanooga at the time uh, as a linebacker, and he was successful there in his freshman year. I don't, I don't have any statistics. I can't tell you how much he played, but he was there again for his sophomore year, and that's when his father had the stroke, and he didn't have any other option. He had to come home and run the family business. They'd been doing this for 20 years. He knew how to do it. Whether he realized or not, by osmosis, he had learned how to do this job, and when dad can't do it, son has to do it, mm-hmm. so he has to move home. And so, I mean, just file that away. Maybe he never wanted to be there to begin with. I'm not trying to make any excuses for the things that happened at Tri-State Crematory, but just file that away. The, the job sort of fell onto him. Yeah, okay. not what he would have chosen. He wanted to be a football coach and a teacher. He wanted to have that mm-hmm. career. You know, we have plenty of friends like that around here, yes. high school coaches and, and teachers. That's what he wanted to do. He ended up by himself in an office all day, Punching buttons and 
burning up dead bodies. And at some point, I think, and you know, I'd love to hear what you guys think about this when we get there, but I just think that he just said, screw it. I would think at some point, someone right? did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that happened in 96. And so dad, uh, he's, he's pretty much out of the picture at this point. So let's fast forward to um, 2000. All right. So this has been going on. Whatever's going on at Tri-State Crematory has been going on for four years before the first person lays eyes on, hey, this doesn't look right to me. And his name is Gene Cook, and he is a propane delivery driver. So he's, he's delivering. I mentioned him in the open. open. Yep, and he sees. Well, something. he's new. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been there before, and he beats the owner to the property, and for some reason the gate's open. I don't know if there was a gate, but he got there before the owner did. So he's driving around, walking around trying to figure out where the propane tank is. I mean, if you've got a propane mm-hmm. tank in your yard, folks out there listening, you know, it's 250 gallons. It's the size of a large bathtub. Mm-hmm. It, it's easy to spot. So yeah. he's looking for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what he sees instead is human bones, human remains. How terrifying. I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he rushes home, like I said, in the open and, and tells his boss, the boss calls the sheriff's department. And I asked Sheriff Steve Wilson this question when I talked to him last week, I said, uh, sheriff, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I mean, I know it's been a long time. Obviously you've been the sheriff there. You've been reelected many times. No one blames you for whatever this was. And I don't, I don't think it was his fault. I just don't think he knew what no, to but do. Did he go out there? That's the question. The first time. According to my, he did not the first time. The second time, yes. So they call him and they say, "Well, I'm not we trying have to bones. We've seen bones well, at the at the local and, crematorium." And, yes, and what Sheriff Wilson told the newspaper is, "I felt like it was a regulatory issue, not a legal issue." Okay. So, and I get that. A I mean, it's in the same issue. way that he doesn't have any authority on the interstate if you're speeding. He thought in his mind, I don't have any authority here. If, if you're backed up and maybe he gave them an excuse, Hey, you know, the, the machine's down, we'll take care of it in a couple of days. Oh, I don't so maybe, know the details. Maybe it got, he's possibly hinting to it. It got spun as we're getting to those. Yeah. Just yeah. haven't gotten to yeah. them yet. And he's got no authority there anyway. And maybe he didn't think he didn't have authority. Maybe he just thought it wasn't that big of a problem, you know, like exactly. they'll, they'll, they're handling well, their business. I mean, and I think, mm. see, I think Sheriff Wilson said at one point, I would not be surprised to see dead bodies at a cemetery or at a funeral home. No, but bones. Well, I don't know that, that anybody that saw it with me, their eyeballs the first time. I know. And, I, and yeah. I'm not trying to be, you know, yeah. ugly or anything. And I I'm, told just Sheriff, saying, I'm just saying bones tell you that they've been there a while. Uh, it seems, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It seems obvious now. Mm-hmm. So that happened in uh, 2000. Okay. And nothing happened. Okay. And so it turns out that this delivery driver, this propane delivery driver, has an aunt who works at the FBI office in Rossville, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta, probably a regional office. Mm-hmm. And so he calls and tells her the story. And she calls the local... Office of the Environmental Protection Agency. A good, and a good choice. You would think. And drops a hint. Hey, something. Mm-hmm. This person I mean, that seems reasonable have, to me. Yeah, someone might have. Is freaking out about what he's seen at the Tri-State Crematory. Saw bones at the crematorium, maybe. So nothing happens. Okay. 
Like they don't have a warrant. They can search. The, the EPA can look in the crematory and see that it's operating properly, but they can't get a warrant to search this 16-acre property right? and what might is be it, out there. Is it working properly at the time? Yes and no. Okay. It works. Mm-hmm. That will be an excuse that, that Brent Marsh offers later that it wasn't working, but what they had technicians, and Sheriff Wilson told me this. He said, we had a technician called out, and we had him inspect the device. And he said? And he said, I could have told him over the phone how to fix this. Those are Sheriff Wilson's words to me on Thursday. We could have told him over the phone how to fix this. So it wasn't broken. It wasn't like... Okay. In need of major repair. Just had some issues. Like something came unplugged. Or they needed to replace a bulb or a fuse or, you know, something very small. I'm so confused. Mm -hmm. Something came unplugged. I'm making that up. I don't know that something came unplugged. I'm just saying it was something. It was a minor issue. It was a minor issue. Gotcha. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Yeah, I didn't mean to be specific there. Bulbs Um, and and plugs are not. I know. I'm just thinking. Involved, are they? No. I don't know. No, it's just tubes and. Propane and... And fire. And fire. Yeah, that is okay. correct. Uh, and so, over the course of that time, am I just totally losing everybody? Is this... No, I'm just off the rails? We're just... Check, I'm the just tech saying. goes okay. out there and it, it comes on. I didn't say the, the tech... Fire, I the said tech that, does not go. I said that later when this all... When this all was found out about, okay, the sheriff said that we talked to somebody who works on those machines and said that he could have talked the person, he could have talked Brent Marsh through the fix for that. If over he the phone. had been contacted, if he had called him, okay, which he did not, okay, yeah, all right. So the Environmental Protection Agency did not go out there for whatever reason. I'm sure they have their protocol or whatever. Yeah, the sheriff thought it was more of a. What kind of issue did you uh, say? A, a, a regulatory, a regulatory issue, issue and with, not with, with whoever with whoever maintains crematoriums. Mm-hmm. But here's the here's the hole in the whole system in Georgia at the time, and it's since been fixed. Back then, if you operated a crematory, but you weren't also a funeral home that okay. offered the full service, okay, then you were not subjected to the same rules and regulations that other funeral homes were. If you only operated a separate crematorium then you did not have to jump through all of those hoops. That has since been fixed. Okay, and I wonder if it was that way because they were thinking you don't have the human remains that long in your possession. Right. Once you do your thing- You get them on Tuesday, they're out on Thursday. There's no reason. Right. It makes sense to me. Uh, So I'm wondering, but you said that's been changed. And from what else I read about that too, it was because they only did contracts with funeral homes. So like a- It fell into the funeral home. Right. Like a person just couldn't call them up and say, hey, I want a cremation. Like they had to go through the funeral home. So they were already- Working with a regulated business. Correct. Okay. And and so that's their loophole. Mm -hmm. You don't have to come inspect us. You inspect We're the funeral home, yeah. We right. work with this funeral home. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I, it, it does until somebody abuses until the system. somebody messes it up. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. And so, um, so eventually this all gets discovered. I mean, this is February 2002 when the... So how does it all get discovered? Because the propane guy's been seeing this, you said, in the called, opener for yeah. a year. He called, well, he calls a second time and talks to his aunt again. And his, he's like, I, every time I go out there, I find something Every new. time. Every time. Yes. And so he calls his aunt again. And according to the story that I read, and, and a lot of the best information that I got about this, even though I kind of, I didn't mean to 
talked bad about the book earlier because there was just so much more going on in this book than the fact that this guy was looking for his father's cremated or his father's remains. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the name of the book, the A Long Day at the End of the World by Brent Hendricks from 2003. Okay. He's looking for his dead father's body. And he figures out pretty quick that it runs through Tri-State Crematory. And, okay. and we'll get to that. Okay. So one of the things that Hendricks says in his book is that the second time that Mr. Cook, the delivery driver, the propane delivery driver, called his aunt at the FBI, she called them again and tried to convey to them, hey, something's going on here that's not right. Who is, who, who is them? Uh, it's the EPA. Okay, so she's, she has call, called she's gonna the call FBI, them a, the girl them who works. Back. Yes, she has called the EPA again. I'm sorry, and she says, "Look, let's just suppose that I'm a woman walking my dog, okay, and my dog finds a human bone. What would you do then?" Mm. And when I talked to Sheriff Wilson last week, he spoke to me about the human bone by the female dog walker as if it was a fact. But according to Hendricks in his book. From 2013, he knows that the ant made that story up mm-hmm. to try and get the APA to get off their ass and go do something. Now, I don't know which one of those versions is true. My phone may ring off the hook at work on Monday morning with Sheriff Wilson calling me and blessing me out for saying something that's wrong. But he, the way he said it to me, he believed that that was actually what happened. But according to Hendricks in his book, Ant Cook made that up. To try to get the EPA to do something. And what did they say when she said if, if, it, was, if it was a dog well, walker and they found a bone? There's not a lot of detail about the specifics of what that conversation entailed after that, but apparently they went down there and had a, a warrant and started looking around, and then they started finding human remains and skulls and bones and uh, bodies buried in vaults, stacked into vaults, waiting for them to putrefy so that they could be dumped into a pit that was dug with a backhoe so that more bodies could be dumped into the same concrete vault to allow it to putrefy so that they could also be dumped into that pit. And I, that's, oh my that's just one case. Oh my gosh. There, there were bodies piled out in the woods with leaves and pine straw on them. There were bodies in storage buildings stacked several people high. How many bodies? 339. Total. That's a lot. Yeah. And there were 2,000 bodies that were sent to the Tri-State Crematory between 1996 and February of 2002 when the shit hit the fan. So of those 2,000 bodies, 339 of them at least did not get what they were promised. Or what, at least their families did what not. What did these people get if, if they got a three to five pound box. Well, it turns out that uh, Brent Marsh got pretty good at figuring out what human remains look like. And I guess you would if you did it every day, because when you burn a body in an oven for four hours, mm-hmm. even if it's in a casket, the preferable way is a cardboard box okay. because cardboard disappears immediately. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, what you're left with after all the organic material burns away is bones. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, if you have a, 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 an artificial hip or a gold tooth, mm-hmm. all of that has to come out. And there is a way that these, that these uh, retorts, the oven that your dead body is burned in is called a retort. Okay. And it burns at about 1,500 degrees. And four hours later, all that is left are your charred 
crispy bones. And they reach into there with a rake Mm -hmm. and they rake your bones out and they put them in a box and Mm -hmm. then they put them in a machine called a cremulator, which is basically the way I've seen it described on YouTube a couple of times, basically like a big blender so that your bones are ground into powder. Okay. And you usually get somewhere between three and a half and five pounds of powder. Where does, where does my gold tooth go? Your gold tooth, they wave over a magnet in that, in that, tray that comes out of the oven when you're finished and they it pulls all of the metal out okay and they rake, they just make sure there's nothing left in there because legally they can't give you anything except you even my tooth not if there's gold in it so, so maybe the, you should get that taken out at the funeral home before they send them <laughs> maybe i should i'll over. put that in my will yeah and, and along with my artificial hip yeah but the the this place is going to keep that I'm not sure exactly what gets done with what comes out of you okay. that's not you. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, but what part of you that is you gets put into a box. Okay. And I know having uh, spread my father's ashes uh, back in October, that it's about three and a half pounds of what looks exactly like concrete dust. And uh, that's basically what Brent Marsh was giving. That's what he gave 339 people. He, and I said to the sheriff, I said to the sheriff when I talked to him on the phone, wouldn't anybody think it was crazy that the guy who ran, that ran the local crematory was going to the local Home Depot or the local Lowe's and buying a shitload of concrete every week? But I guess not. And so Because he was buying bags than- of concrete. Well, that's the thing, and that's what Sheriff Wilson said to me. He said Brent Marsh spent so much more time and energy I was about to say, you've got to hide Doing the this the way he did it than if he had just done it the right way to start with. And he's right. And, and It'd be a lot less work cheaper? to just burn the bodies. Was it cheaper to buy all that concrete? He saved about $10,000 in a year. And that's, it's funny you said that. Let me tell you this number that I stumbled across. Um, the first year that this happened in 1997... Tri-State mm-hmm. Crematory, according mm-hmm. to the official records from the investigation, what they could determine, that when they, if they could figure out who your remains were, mm-hmm. these were the numbers they came up with. In 1997, five bodies did not get handled properly. Okay. In 98, 27 bodies. In 1999, 43 bodies. Mm. In 2049, in 2001, 81 bodies. So it's getting worse as he goes. Mm -hmm. And then in 2002, he'd already uh, not done the right thing with 20 bodies. And it was February the 15th. Oh, my gosh. So it was only going to get worse. Whatever it was that made him think that it was better for him to do it this way than that way. And then hide the bodies just all over the property. I I have no idea what the end game was for Brent Marsh. I'm trying to figure out. Just put the body into the apparatus and let it go for four hours instead yeah. of running to the hardware store, running to the forest, getting all the straw, get putting in the vault. And this comes up in court, but dead bodies are heavy. Yes. And they come mm-hmm. in sure. on whatever rolling apparatus, you know, from the funeral home. Mm-hmm. And they would, you know, to cremate them, they roll them into the... Mm-hmm oven basically yeah but in order to do what he's doing he's picking up these bodies and throwing them around like that is that is not easy that yeah is, that is not the easy way out right so, the, the easy way is on the wheels like they bring mm-hmm. it to you so once they 
finally go out and get a warrant and uh-huh. check, they find all of these bodies. So now they're thinking, oh my gosh, we've got to figure out who these bodies are. We've got to figure out who they belong to. Mm-hmm. We've got to get them to their loved ones. Can I tell you where some of the bodies were discovered? Yes. Uh, a storage shed stacked in concrete vaults, scattered on the ground, even in vehicles on one occasion, and that turned out to be Hendrix's dad. The one body that they found still in a casket, still in a hearse, was Hendrix's dad. And they identified him by the custom-made boots that he'd been buried in because originally he had been buried. He was in the ground for seven years. And his mother decided that she didn't like the fact that he was buried six feet under the ground and she wanted to have him cremated. So she had him So they had him exhumed, sent to Tri-State Crematory, and his custom boots that he'd been buried in that had his name engraved on the heels were how they identified his mummified remains. And that's why Hendrix wrote the book that he did. I mean, it's one of the reasons. He, I mean, and I love that he did it. I mean, he did a lot of research on this book. Mm-hmm. It, it, he, it's a little scattershot, but I still liked it. Mm-hmm. But that's why he wrote the book, because when the Tri-State crematory story broke, he started wondering, hey, I wonder if when we dug my dad up and sent him to be cremated, mm-hmm. and it turns out he was right. Do you know what year they sent his father to be cremated? He was one of the first bodies that they ever figured out was part of when Brent Marsh decided to stop doing his job properly. So, so, so 96, mean- 97, okay. he'd, been, okay. he'd been in a casket mummified he'd already been embalmed Mm -hmm. so once you get embalmed you know your body just stops decomposing you're Mm -hmm. just a mummy Mm -hmm. um what seven years oh my goodness well add the five 12 years Mm -hmm. because he'd been in the ground for this property can't be that big he's got to be running out of space you would think but he's got 16 acres and a lake and they found some of the bodies in the lake i mean listen this is just this is awful this is like the body farm. Yeah. You know, they, they uh, where is it where they do the study on the cadavers? Yeah. And, and, and uh, Hendrix even mentions that in the book. I, you know, I wish we'd just put, given dad to one of those places where, like, it's like a forensics thing, like for criminal yes. uh, research. They, yes. they lay your body out in the woods for five years so that if they find a body in the woods. They know, they study it. They know what to look hey, for. Hey, this is about five years it. worth mm-hmm. of decomposition here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he wished at one point in the book, hell, we should have just done that. So, and, and I'm also thinking about all the different religions that all of the people are now probably in the South. Most of them are mm-hmm. Christian religion, I would think. Yeah. Well, and, and so they, they have a process. There's a, there's a process to that. Well, and the thing is about cremation. Uh, in 1961, only 3.75% of the population of this country chose cremation. Uh, by 1985, it was up to 13.5%. In 2000, it was 26%. And as of 2010, which is the most recent numbers that the Cremation Association of North America has that I could find, 39%. But I said earlier, it's supposed to be 58% in this country by next year. Mm-hmm. We're running out of room, folks. We can't put everybody six feet in the ground in a big, huge metal vault. Oh, I read this today. In the United States of America alone, we bury enough concrete and steel every year in the ground, in funeral processions uh, to build another Golden Gate Bridge every year. Wow. So we got to do something or we're going to run out of mm-hmm. places to put it. This everybody. is so horrible for these poor families who have lost a loved one and then, then have to find out 
their loved one is not safely yeah. scattered where they requested to be. Yeah. Their body has been desecrated. Yes. Or that's not grandma in that urn. No. No. That's that is just and, concrete. And there and there is a chapter in Hendrix's book where he uh has a phone call with his mother after she has realized that oh. yes, he her dead husband has been one of the victims if you will, of the tri-state crematory. Yes, victim, and what she has been talking to every day, like she continues oh, to talk no. to this urn, like her husband is still alive. That's all she's got left. She's an empty nester. The kids are gone. She, she has, been she talking. lived with that urn. Like it was her dead husband every mm-hmm. day. And then she finds out it's a bag of fucking concrete. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she was pretty much, uh, she was she traumatized. She was devastated yes. and traumatized. Yes, yes, all of that. So, again, another... And that's just one family. Another one of the hooks that made this... The part of this book that was good was really good. Some mm-hmm. of the parts I didn't care for, but the parts that were good were really good. Did they match everyone to their family? Uh, of the 339, they matched 226 <sighs> through DNA, and a lot of them were just so... Uh, Time had taken its toll, for lack of a better way to say it, and so they couldn't identify this femur versus that femur because a lot of them were just piled up together and and had reached the stage of decay where you couldn't tell where one body ended and another began. But they found, they, they made connections for 226, and the other 113, 14, whatever it is, are buried in a common grave uh, that the state of Georgia provided oh. in individual vaults in some cases and in uh, a, a common area where it was just random bones. Oh my goodness. So, um, all right. I think I'm done with the gruesome no, yeah, part. Let's so. let Katie my, tell the crime my next story. Question is, mm-hmm. What did they do with this guy? So he is arrested, of course, and he is charged with 787 criminal charges. Does that break a record? You know, I should have looked that up. I, I don't I, know. I, you know, I doubt it. I feel like I, that would have said something. But yeah, uh, 787 counts of... Uh, they, uh, his charges included theft by deception, abusing a corpse, fraud relating to the burial services he promised, and fraud pertaining to his false statements that he made. Mm-hmm. And he originally told law enforcement, like his first, you know, his first words out of his mouth were, well, the oven wasn't working properly, which... They found that to be untrue. Like like Scott mentioned, it wasn't working. So it wasn't working perfectly. Ninety seven to two thousand and one. But from my calculations, it worked. Yeah, it just didn't work perfectly. Well, like maybe it took longer. He got two thousand. Maybe there were two thousand bodies that were received at Tri State Crematory from ninety six to two thousand two. Only three hundred thirty nine were found on the property. So the other six hundred. He was still cremating some. Got handled correctly. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he just threw everybody in. The lake. What? He just got lazy. He, he would do four every day instead of six, or I don't know. That's that's no one, the question. Yeah. That's the question. We don't know how he. W- it, there was not a pattern. To- no. Okay. There was another theory that he was just lazy and like so. Hey, five bodies come in. I'm just going to chunk a few. But that, like we mentioned earlier, that doesn't make any sense either because the bodies would be heavy and. Moving them around, I mean, it's just, it would be a lot easier just to perform the cremation. So, laziness didn't work out either. Yeah. He 
of course, he, he had a couple of good attorneys, and he ends up taking a plea deal in this case because they have him dead right here. I think you definitely yeah. take a... Yes. He pleads guilty, and he is sentenced to 12 years as part of this plea deal. Uh, with this plea deal, he also agrees to never profit from selling the story of his crimes, and he says that he would write a handwritten letter of apology to each of the 226 families that they could identify. And, like I said, more, more than 100 bodies weren't identified, but everybody, every family that they identified, he was supposed to write a handwritten letter of apology to. Which Did the book mention this? Did it they did. get a letter from him? Yeah. I mean, as far as I know, there's no... I mean, he would have been in violation of a court agreement, right, mm-hmm. Katie? So he'd have been back in jail if he hadn't yeah. done it. So obviously okay. he did it. All right, so he went... The big question in all of this, though, is why did he do it? Like, that's what everyone asks. And he does not have an answer for anyone. He tells everyone, you know, if you're here for answers as to why, I don't have any. And so that's he, infuriating. He offers no reason. He just sits there... And he says he doesn't know. Five years after his initial arrest, his lawyers had him undergo some physiological tests, and they discovered that he did have mercury poisoning. Mm-hmm. And so when you're cremating bodies with fillings, the process releases mercury into the air, which usually isn't a problem because these places have good ventilation systems, and so it's pulling all of that out, and it's not circulating through the air. But the ventilation system at Tri-State was found to be dysfunctional. So his father had mercury poisoning. Come to find out it had been, it'd been broken that long. And he had mercury poisoning. And it gave him um, what's called Mad Hatter's disease. And Kelly, I don't know if not a doctor over here. I'm sure you, you know what that is. But it's, the technical term is erythism. Is that... I don't know. I can't pronounce anything. I never understood the definition of the phrase Matt as a hatter until I ran across that as well. And so what I learned is that mm-hmm. back in the day when hatters used fur pelts to make hats, they used mercury to somehow treat that that fur to be able to mold it and shape it. It was used to stabilize the wool. And over time, they, they inhaled too much of it and it made them crazy. Mm-hmm. And thus the term Matt as a hatter. And apparently the yep. defense for the Marsh family was that the same thing happened to Brent. Well, as well, this came out after the case. Okay, but okay. yeah, five oh, years. So it was not a defense. It, it was five years after his original okay. arrest. I'm sorry. They had, but he did. Um, they did find out that he was exposed to it daily, and he did. I mean, he he was diagnosed with mercury poisoning. And I don't know when they stopped using dental work. I'm sorry, you stopped using mercury in dental work, but for a long time they did. I mean, that was you got your teeth filled mm-hmm. right with mercury. I mean, if you had a filling, it was mercury. I mean, I I think I had a mercury filling when I was. Yeah, a child. I have no fillings. So I don't know. I think I did. I my, mean, it was my silver. One, anyway. My one flex in life. I don't have. I've never had. A, <laughs> I've never had a cavity. Well, keep brushing those toothies, Katie, because yeah. they look great. And I wish I'd thought of that when I was your age, but uh, I did not. So, just a, a brief search on this Matt Hatcher's. I I don't want to um to give away this this topic comes up in a very famous podcast. Um, that you can listen to that is um, that from the state of Alabama, actually. Oh, oh. so, so was, that may be a. I was going to guess Klaus von Bülow, but you're telling me that's not it. No, this this topic comes up 
quite a bit. And, and um, there are certain symptoms. I would love to know how he acted. Mm-hmm. Was he bouncing off the walls? Was he very irritable, excitable? Because you see, that's not because I try to try to look up his sen- his symptoms because all I could read was if, if he's just not offering anything, that's mm-hmm. not really consistent with what they're saying is the Mad Hatter's disease. It's a it's a um, very excitable, very rambling, very talking a lot all over the place. And I think thoughts. he might have had a little of that because I read that you know what they assume is he was kind of just living in his own reality over there with his own you know. Um, put a body here and let's put a body here and let's, you know, kind of just that, I mean, play that kind of makes sense. He probably spent most all day of every day by himself. He was out there by himself. Dad's not helping him anymore. Mom's in the house cooking dinner, taking care of her father, of his father. I mean, he, he and he didn't have any help that, mm. I, that I can ever find. He, he did the whole thing by himself. How old was he when all this was going on? Young. He's, I mean, he was college age when it started. Yeah. In 96, they pulled he's him out 23 of years yeah. old, so in his mid to late 20s, gosh. younger than 30. Oh, my gosh. But Well, it's a real thing. You can look at Mad mm-hmm. Hatter's disease, and you can see all the different symptoms. Um, but I, I would just love to know how uh, his behavior. Yeah. And it wasn't as, because he wasn't initially, he didn't go under like psych any kind of psychiatric evaluations initially. Like it was later on when they decided they wanted to have him tested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I thought think, that, because the, the time frame five years after his initial arrest. Well, and Katie, I'm curious to what you have to say about this, because it seems like nobody considered that to be a possible, everybody just assumed that this, whatever this nefarious act was, it was criminal in nature right. to begin mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. But at some point along the way, Maybe it was his defensive team first, or maybe it was the prosecution or the judge decided, hey, let's see if this guy's got all, it was his de- all of his oars in his, the water. His, and, his defense and, team. And yeah. so did they test him? Did he have levels of mercury? Were, yes. Yeah. So and, still, and five, well, five years after his initial Five years arrest. later, it's still there. Yes. Oh, my God. And then, of course, he, no one can get out of this without civil suits following so while oh, you know he pleads guilty he's off he's off to prison and there were several civil suits and i won't get into the boring nature of when so many civil suits get get filed they begin a class action lawsuit in tennessee mm-hmm. and then a class action lawsuit is started in georgia as well because if you didn't catch it tri-state means the tri-state crematorium was named after the fact that they serviced three states, mm-hmm. Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and it's right up in kind of that corner where it's very close to all three yes. states if, yeah. if you're not familiar with the a, area. A great business model as long as you uh, conduct it properly. Right. And so there was a lot of families in Tennessee, and so they formed a class action lawsuit, and then a class action lawsuit was formed in Georgia. The class action lawsuit in Tennessee actually lost class action status at one point. Anyway, that's kind of boring, but 1,600 family members received, they split 30, a $36 million settlement uh, from funeral homes who sent business to Tri-State. So they actually ended up suing the funeral homes that- Who, who trusted who, Tri-State to do the job. Because they hired these funeral homes to do a job. They didn't hire Tri-State. Mm-hmm. The funeral homes chose to use Tri-State. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the, these families have, they go and, and... And they paid a lot of money for these funerals. Right. Mm-hmm. And $80 million was paid out to families who settled with the Marshes individually. And that was paid through 
Marsh's homeowner's insurance policy, which to last my which knowledge blew my mind. Yeah. That and they, the homeowner's insurance policy covered 80 million. I mean, that's alpha. I mean, George's version of alpha. The I Farm guess. Bureau. Yeah. Right. Something like that. It, yeah. Cause, uh, but wow, that's Farm Bureau is a, a different thing, but yes. Okay. Or an older company, but yes. And the last I saw, they were fighting that. So I don't know how much of that's actually uh, been paid out. Zero. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, I don't see where your homeowner's insurance would have. And maybe it was his business owner's insurance. I kept reading Something. that it said homeowners, but that just doesn't make sense. I know. Sense me, it, to didn't me. Me, it didn't to me either. Yeah. I, and I don't and, know insurance and, like you do. And we have, I mean, his limits could not be that high. I mean, we have. Lots and lots of insurance on on lots of businesses, and and eighty million dollars is I don't know how you get that kind of coverage yeah. mm-hmm. on something besides like a theme park, right? And so there were you know lots of money paying out in these cases, and then after the fact, you know everything just keeps coming back to all the professionals in this business keep saying this would have never happened if the business was regulated property properly Mm -hmm. if they had a yearly inspection like everyone else all the other crematories, yes Mm -hmm. then this you know i mean that's a good point that's a very good point can i ask kelly has that been fixed in the state of georgia as far as we know yes so they've went um the state of georgia has fixed their regulations and it also trickled to most states followed suit and changed their regulatory policies as well I mean, this story, if you guys don't remember, and I'm assuming that we all do, I mean, mm-hmm. it's been, you know, 20 years ago now, but um, I mean, it was, it was on CNN. It was all over the place for a couple of months. The guy, Dan Ronan, that I mentioned on WAGA, he didn't leave Noble, Georgia for a month, according to what I read in Hendrick's book, and, and they spoke. So mm-hmm. when that case broke, when that story broke, he moved there into a motel or the back of his car or whatever, and he didn't leave for a month. It was oh that big goodness. of a story all over the country. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and two, so he's sentenced to 12 years in prison in 2004. So that means in 2016, June of 2016, he served his entire sentence and he was released. Yeah, and, and Sheriff Wilson told me that he's back in the community. He's keeping his head low. He's got a, a, a public works job. That's all he would say, and I didn't ask anymore. He said he has a public works job. He's just mm-hmm. he's doing his thing, and he's well, back I mean, in he's, the community. He's, he's, a, he's still a young man, relatively yeah, he speaking. Well, and he, and he's... He's, he's younger than me. Mm-hmm. He's done his time. Yeah. I mean, he, he served the he time that he debt. was supposed to. Exactly. So that's mm-hmm. over with. So there's no sense in yeah. stalking him, trying to yeah. find, you know, trying to find him. And I just a, wonder if apparently he's, the community has embraced him back into their arms. I, I wonder if wonder, he's recovered. Is that what you're That's what I was going to say. If he's, um, yeah. if he's still suffering from yeah. this. Maybe After all these years. Totally. One of the rare cases where you go off to prison for 12 years and you come home totally rehabilitated. Well, I mean, I don't think you would get more mercury poisoning in jail. Right? Certainly. So you would think, right? it, you would I think. wonder if it's yeah. the kind of thing that goes away after a while. I would assume, I'm but doctor, I'm not a doctor know. either. <laughs> don't know. Well, if Katie's that, been saving that one for months. She has. You, just, you, you threw her a softball. I did. She <laughs> knocked it out of the park. I did. Way to go, Katie. Exactly. Yeah, way to go. <laughs> that um that's that, that though. That is disturbing. This story is disturbing. Did we cover it all? Are we done? I, I, I we, think did. we did, right? We covered we it all. How long have we been on the air? This is a very gruesome Almost one. an hour. This is this is is this the most gruesome one we've had? I don't know. I mean gruesome I like is a relative like, term. Uh, I mean he didn't Yeah, because he these didn't were kill already anybody. dead bodies, yeah. He didn't kill anybody. No, but 
He yeah, just, that's true. He didn't. Know, he didn't. This is the first case we've done, I think. Gosh, my heart. Where nobody killed somebody else. My, my heart just goes out to all of this family. Oh, I know. It doesn't make it so any less gruesome. Or, yeah. To think that your loved one was just there yeah. on that property or at the bottom of a lake and or that, and that you got a piled bag. in a pile in with a some casket other sitting over here. Just yeah. And you got bodies. a bag of cement. Oh. Yeah. I think I said concrete earlier. Technically, it's cement. It technically, yeah, cement, dust. Cement. Yeah. Dust. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. Well, that was quite a story, Scott. I'm glad you didn't ask Scott, me for a one-word description earlier. Yeah, Scott, Katie, you guys did an incredible job on that this week. Well, I've been drinking a lot since uh, earlier today, and uh, <laughs> I plan to come in co- completely dumb next week. What are we talking about next week? Can you tell us? We will not say <gasps> Dun, dun, dun. I love Scott it. always wants to give a spoiler. Sorry. Yeah, no spoiler. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, follow us on all our social media channels. Come see us live tonight if you're listening uh, when this drops. And what are we doing tonight? That's about it. I'll have to <gasps> show up to come, come and see. Gotta come and see. All right. Um, good night, everybody. <laughs>